Kathy and I were not with you at Christmas. We were with our friends. We were with our uh, friends, our friends, our family in San Francisco, and um, glad to be back among you today. Um, the passage that we're going to look at is John chapter 1 this evening, and uh, this is a time when we focus on the birth of Jesus, and, and we contemplate his birth. What does it mean? What is the significance? And this, this passage in John 1 talks about that. And usually we think again of this little baby Jesus. I, as I was reading this week in the scriptures that were outlined for us, um, there are two times that Mary says in the first chapters of Luke that she pondered these things in her heart. The first was when the shepherds came and they saw these angels that announced the birth of Jesus and they got all excited and ran into town and told everybody about it and it said, but Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The second was a few chapters later when Jesus as the 12-year-old boy went to the temple and they didn't know where he was and Jesus talks to Mary and Joseph and he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And other people scuffled around and it said that Mary pondered these things in her heart. So what I'd like to do is look at this baby Jesus that we think of at Christmas and ponder and think of who he really is. Was he just this helpless baby? On one hand, he was definitely a newborn laying in a cold manger with animals, probably sheep and goats and maybe some cattle. A helpless helpless little baby, um, which we all were one day, where we all were like that, and many of us have had small children, newborn babies, and you see how helpless they are. They can't do anything. All they could do is cry when they have a need, and then you go and you, you meet their need, and Jesus was like that. He, he could have succumbed to an illness. He could have succumbed to an accident. He could have succumbed to King Herod, who killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem at that time, because he also heard this prophecy and was afraid of who this Jesus really was. Well, let's look at who Jesus was before the incarnation, before he dwelt in human flesh and became this helpless little baby. Our passage this evening starts with the words, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Greek word here is logos for word. And, and the similar word is logismos, that's logic. That's where we get our word logic from. And so the Word was not a written word. Nothing existed at that time. Think of it as the thinking, the mind of God. He was, he was the Word, the thinking of God. And then he took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Well, as I was thinking of this passage in the beginning, there's one other book of the Bible. This starts the book of John. There's another book of the Bible that starts with in the beginning, and that's the book of Genesis. Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's a parallel there between the two. In the beginning was the Word. He was, was with God and was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It also, the other time that only other time exists in the Bible is Psalm 102. It says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
That, that verse is then quoted in Hebrews 1, but there's these three times in the Bible that we have this in the beginning, the logos, uh, it, talking about Jesus and creation. Well, <clears throat> it says God created and Jesus created all that we know of the universe. The heavens and the earth is a, is a simplified way to say everything there was, the universe. Well, apart from the Bible, what other ways can we explain the origins of the universe and, and of, of us as man? And, and, you know, it's interesting is the Bible for really since the Old Testament, 4,000 years, hasn't changed. Um, these theories, the other theories have, is men have tried to understand where did we come from? Who are we? Why are we here? The current theory that's understood is called the Big Bang. And that says that there was an infinitely dense, like a little dot at the end of the period, even smaller than that, this infinitely dense little point, and it spontaneously exploded, and as it did, it created matter, energy, space, and time. Because where did time come from? People don't really know. That's the best that science has to tell us today. But that wasn't always. If you go back about 100 years or so, they thought the universe was eternal. Well, when they realized it was expanding, it can't always be expanding and be eternal. The entropy, it would be totally disordered. So that didn't work. So they said, well, no, it can't really be eternal. And they came up with the, the Big Bang. Now they're going back to a thing called not the universe, but the multiverse. They said, well, the universe really is eternal, but not ours. All these series of universes, which just perpetuates the same problem back far enough that um, we don't understand, any, couldn't have any idea what happened. <clears throat> so there are two, two uh, ways that we can explain that. Um, but in the Bible, there are several times that says very clearly where we came from. In John 1, verse 3, it says, Through him, it's talking about Jesus, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And then in Colossians 1.16, it says, it's talking about Christ again, for him, by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities, all things were created by him, and for him. And then it says in Hebrews 1, 2, that uh, he's talking about his son, Jesus, appointed heir of all things. Through him, he made the universe. So now we're, we're looking at this, this little baby that some brief time before was with God in spirit and was actually the person that created this whole universe. So I'd like to take a couple seconds, a couple minutes, and ponder how big is our universe? That This is what this baby Jesus created before any of us existed. Well, our solar system is part of the Milky Way galaxy. And in our galaxy, there are 100 billion stars. And, and, and that's just one galaxy. It's a really a small galaxy for the whole universe. Imagine 100 billion stars. And, and there's hundreds of billions of galaxies, hundreds of billions of galaxies. And, and somebody tried to figure out, well, that means there's 100 billion trillion stars. And somebody tried to figure out, how could you see? How, the numbers are so big, we can't conceive them. And they said, well, if you get dimes, 
and you stack them up as high as the tallest building in America in New York, there would be about 300,000 in one stack. And then you push these stacks, just a little bitty dime, you push them close together. Imagine how many stacks you would have just in this building, right? All the stars, to represent all the stars, those stacks would fill the whole continent of South America. That's how many stars there are. It's so vast that, it, that a, a light could go around the earth in seven and a half seconds, and yet to go across just our galaxy would take 100,000 years. So you just think of the vastness of our creation. And, and, and compare that with just each of us here today. You know, um, we, we had a friend, we have a friend, he works at the Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA and actually became a Christian there. He wasn't a Christian before and he became a Christian there. And I said to him one day, how in the world did you become a Christian at NASA? And you know, the funny thing is he looked at me like, are you stupid? I mean, I was, it was like, what do you mean? Don't you know? And, and, I, and I said, well, no, how could this happen? And he said to me, I'll never forget this, he said, Jack, these are smart men. I said, yeah, I know that. <laughs> you know? And, and he said, do you think you could study the universe your whole life and not know that God exists? And I thought, well, yeah, I, that makes sense. And he said, my colleague took a sabbatical to do a seminary degree. And he said, this is very common. Because when you look and you study the scope of the universe, there are two things that become very apparent. One, the universe is very, very big. And we are very, very small in comparison. And so, so that is something that I think I'd like us to, to consider and think about today, that this Jesus that created the entire universe humbled himself to be made in human likeness. It says in Philippians, it's talking about Jesus Christ again. It says, in being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, be made in human likeness. So he humbled himself, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to death on a cross. So this is this creator God that we have that humbled himself to not only his spirit lived in a human body that he created, but he came as a helpless baby and then was obedient. And so he took on the human form. It says in John, the passage that we read this morning as well, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. This, this spirit of God lived in a human body. And, and, and the, the whole, everything about Jesus represents humility. When I think about how, how, how did we first know, how was the first announcement that this baby Jesus was born? Well, these angels, a host of angels appeared. Did they go to the palace and appear to the king? No, they went to the shepherds, the lowly shepherds in the field. God chose to reveal himself to these shepherds who then found Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and went off and told everybody the wonderful news that a Savior is born today in Bethlehem. 
That was when he was born. But how about when he died and rose from the dead? Were the apostles the first to go out and preach the good news? No, they were the recipients of the good news. Who went to the tomb and found it empty? It says there were several women, one of whom was Mary Magdalene, a former woman of ill repute, that, that, that Jesus changed her life dramatically. So these women went and they found the apostles and they said, we have good news. Jesus is risen. So, so the, both parts of the ministry had very, very humble beginnings. It causes me to think, is there a time when I can think that I was humbled? I don't know if you could think of a time when you experienced something and you were humbled. And I could think of a few times. And that was times when circumstances, if you will, or people humbled me, and I had no choice. <laughs> and then compare that to Jesus humbling himself and taking on the form of this small, helpless baby. It's just no comparison, no comparison at all. I think <clears throat> several times when that has happened, I reflect upon that. And think about, well, if this seems a lot, <laughs> what I'm going through now, think about, you know, the creator of the universe. You know, think about an important person, a king or somebody who bows down to a little child, and we think, what a humble act. And it is, from our standards. But when you think of the creator God of the universe taking on the form of a helpless newborn babe, I don't think there could be a greater example of humility. And that's the thing about Jesus. Jesus leads by example. You know, we talk about that. You should lead by example. Well, here is a very clear case where Jesus leads <clears throat> by example. Well, Jesus is the word of God. It also says in verse 4 that he is life. It says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. So in this baby and in this man, Jesus, is found life. And that's the light. That means the path. That's what we should follow. That's what fills us in our lives. But the interesting thing is, as amazing and as, as humble a thing that he did, people don't recognize it. It says further down, and... And it said that the world, in verse 10, it said the world did not recognize him. It says in verse 5 of John 1, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. And so, so here's this example, a wonderful example of humility and God reaching down to us, but the world doesn't understand it. There's another verse in John 8 when Jesus is having this long discourse with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And they say, you know, how could you be the Father? And he could say, the Father and I are one. And he said these things. And Jesus says some very strong things to them. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry your father's desire. He's the father of lies, and that's who you believe. So these religious men, couldn't see Jesus for who he was. Well, <clears throat> Jesus was not only, he did not only humble himself, but he went further than that. And it says in Philippians, it says in Philippians 
that being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he humbled himself and he became obedient to, to doing what he needed to do, not for himself, but we, he needed to do for our benefit, for our good, laying down his life in our place. And it says this again in John 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father. And his glory, it says, is full of grace and truth. His glory is filled with grace and truth. <clears throat> grace, truth, because he is truth. He is, is God. And, and, and that's very clear. But grace, why is it full of grace? Because what he did for us, becoming obedient, is giving us something that we don't deserve. The definition of grace is a gift that we don't deserve. The opposite of salary, something we earn because we do something. You go to your boss, you don't go and say, please give my salary. He gives it to you because you work for it. But grace is the opposite. You don't work. You don't do anything, and somebody gives you this gift. And that is the gift of the Jesus gave on the cross, where it says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And in verse 12 in John 1 again, it says, it explains that. It says that the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, his own people. It, it, then it says, but. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is why there's grace and truth. Because if we believe in his name, we could join God's family. We know, that, and the shepherd said a Savior is born today when he was a baby. Because they knew, that the angels told them this is what was going to happen. <clears throat> so we have a, a Savior that is born. So I would conclude just by saying, what better time in this Christian season to follow Christ's example of humility and of obedience, of doing what we know that he's already said in his word that he wants us to do? And what better time to accept if we don't know that we have received this grace that he offers us of eternal life, to accept that and believe in his name and become children of God. Let me close us in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that in your majesty, in your glory, in your splendor, that you, the creator of the universe, that is so great that our minds can't comprehend, and yet you are greater. You existed before anything that we know existed. And yet you humbled yourself, became a newborn babe, lived your life on earth, and gave your life so that we may live with you for all of eternity. We thank you, we praise you, and we pray that we would live this week in meditating on you and what you've done for us, being thankful for all the things you've done for us, that we may live with you for all of eternity. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen.